Technology stocks have gotten off to a rough start this year. While some mega cap technology names have fallen modestly, many others have lost a third or more of their value since the new year. Overall, the NASDAQ 100 is down roughly 19.5% year-to-date. The S&P 500 is down by about 11.5% year-to-date in 2022. But in the midst of all of the noise of today's uncertainty and volatility, if you go back and take another look at the gigantic financial performance numbers of some of the mega cap names that reported earnings for the final months of 2021, it's really hard to understand why this isn't an inflection point that could be a key moment for investors to increase their allocations to what will still be the fastest growing segment of the market and the economy. Joining me to talk about the tech sector is TD Asset Management's Vitaly Masunov, Global Technology Analyst and Portfolio Manager of the TD Global Technology Leaders Index ETF, Canada's largest technology ETF, ticker TEC, and the TD Global Technology Innovators ETF, ticker TECI. Jonathan Needham, Vice President of ETF Distribution at TD Asset Management, joins us as well. This is the Insight is Capital podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Vitaly, Jonathan, welcome. It's great to have you both for this very timely conversation. Yeah, thanks, Pierre. Great to be here. Well, I think to start things off, it would be great if you would tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and your positions at TD Asset Management. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Pierre. Um, yeah. Long story short, I, I've been uh, in the you know investment management business for for over two decades now, uh, servicing advisors across this country for various asset management firms. So, been with TD for for over two years now. Uh, as you said, I'm VP uh, of ETF Distribution here. So focus on building our franchise uh, and getting TD Asset Management's name out in the marketplace. So yeah, 20 plus years servicing advisors, MBA, licensed PM. I, I had a, a brief stop at a fintech firm uh, before joining TD and previously was head of marketing and head of distribution for a very large uh, asset manager, also with an emphasis on exchange-traded funds. Wonderful. Vitaly? Only half of that, unfortunately, half of that experience I've been in the industry for, for a decade. But uh, before that, I actually started out as an accountant and uh, I was an auditor for a while and I enjoyed it quite a bit. But I realized that uh, you learn a lot of rigor, uh, but you're always looking at uh, stuff information, things that are already on the on the books. So I thought that uh, forecasting the future and studying businesses was uh far more exciting and, and made the switch uh, first to the broker-dealer side and then to the investment management side. So right now, my day-to-day my -day is really to, to wake up and uh, look at uh, technology companies, figuring out what the trends are and uh, what the individual businesses are, are up to and uh, ultimately predicting their future free cash flows and valuing these uh, these companies. I imagine your, your background as an accountant uh, helps you to determine also the fundamentals or the quality of the fundamentals for a lot of these businesses as well. You know, it's it's been a big help and I wouldn't necessarily have ever thought that was the case, but uh, taking a lot of time before to uh, understand how to peruse those uh, boring annual reports, uh, you learn a thing <laughs> or two. And so I'm happy to apply that uh, now to, the, to forecasting the future. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, Vitaly, let's jump in. What's your take on how tech stocks have performed so far this year 
my take can only be objective by looking at the facts. And as you mentioned earlier, they haven't performed very well at all. Now, what do I think about that? Well, I think the market's full of ups and downs. Uh, any price action in the course of uh, daily, weekly, or even monthly is uh, pretty much unpredictable. And so uh, I don't necessarily have a, have that data sending me into any panic or frenzy. I mean, at the end of the day, we know that the, the, the price of, of companies, the businesses will converge on the value of those companies, meaning the present value of their future free cash flows. And uh, that's that's where we focus our time. And so the, the, the real question um, and the, a negative answer to which would have me concerned is how were these businesses doing? And we've just gotten yeah. through the earnings season. And, um, you know, that, well, that's it. That, that wasn't your question, but uh, I'm getting to that. Not that worried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, in a nutshell, technology stocks are down. But, you know, I, I think we should get to the heart of the, the, you know, the questions that sort of surround why they're down. A lot of the chatter in the market points to the inflationary impulse that we're seeing right now, the rising rates, the duration of the earnings of tech companies as, you know, seen as a cause of the pullbacks, you know, when we're talking about things like discounted cash flows. But it seems like, like in a lot of cases, the baby was thrown out with the bathwater. We've seen a lot of, of uh, big pullbacks. In, in companies, in some cases, that were surprising. What are your thoughts on the argument that rising rates are to blame? No, I, I, there's something to it, but I, I will say investors are a, a funny bunch. I think when you know stocks are going up, they'll find reasons to buy the stocks, and when stocks are going down, they'll find reasons to sell. And then, you know, after they'll come and say, "Well, I did X because of Y," right? But that's not really why they were doing it in the moment, and so. Or long duration stocks getting bid up uh, throughout the pandemic because they were uh, because the interest rates were low. I don't think so. I think a lot of these businesses accelerated their fundamentals. Investors liked what they saw. Their investors saw what other investors were doing, and and they followed suit. And I think a lot of that is unwinding today. Now, as a lot of investors again, they're looking around and saying, "Well, oil's uh, hitting, you know, God knows what number these days." And, those companies yeah. that produce oil and sell oil are going to be doing pretty well. The banks might benefit with higher interest rates. So I think that this, you know, long duration argument, you know, becomes convenient to rationalize something so complex that, you know, in the moment we, we, we never do know what, what it is that we're doing and why. But at the end of the day, again, um, that is a part of the market. As you said, the, the, the big tech companies and the kind of free cash flows that they produce and the valuations they trade at, uh, certainly that not a risk that they're subject to anymore than the typical company in the S&P 500. So you, you wouldn't point to, to there being lots to worry about on the fundamental side, right? I mean, we're talking about a, a reaction to financial conditions rather than, than a reaction to fundamental conditions for the sector. Exactly. And, and financial conditions matter. I mean, ultimately, um, if, if there is going to be a, a savings account, uh, a, a large financial institution that pays 10% interest, well, that's going to affect the allocation decisions for investors, whether they want to buy now a, a stock with a 2% dividend yield at the relative attractiveness of that. So I don't want to sound uh, dismissive of, 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 of financial conditions. They are, they are relevant and we can see which way the wind is blowing now. But it, 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 if anything, it's just to emphasize that if we think that the world continues to exist w within certain boundaries, right? 
whether that's, you know, interest rates between X and Y or inflation between A and B over, over a multi-year horizon, then, you know, I, I don't think the narrative is broken at all. And for those of your, you know, for those of your listeners that might say, well, you know, I, I don't believe that. I think you know, oil is going to a thousand dollars a barrel, gold, gold's going to $10,000 a barrel. Well, I said, you should stop listening to this because you're not going to benefit from it very much. There's better serious time. Yeah. I mean, as an aside, if you look at, at companies like Amazon, Apple, Google, Microsoft, which are sort of the, you know, uh, household names, mainstays, uh, the four, four American companies that are now worth in excess of uh, trillions of dollars. It's remarkable when you look, for example, I mean, Microsoft is, t is above two trillion, Apple nearly three trillion, uh, you know, in that ballpark. Those companies reported enviable growth in 2021. I mean, you know, even Facebook's disappointing earnings were, were relative. The stock got, got uh, punished a little bit more. But, you know, when you look at even what was supposed to be terrible at Facebook, the company's profits grew by 35% in 2021, down from 60% growth in 2020. In terms of, of fundamentals, it's, uh, it's not that terrible. It's... it's uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that, that sort of befuddles, you know, it, I, I think it, the market, which is that these companies have these blockbuster profit margins, blockbuster revenues, blockbuster earnings. And of course, they've had the market caps to, to, to go along with that. But fundamentally, are these businesses in any danger of cratering anytime soon? And that's our job to watch that. And today, I think the answer, the answer to that is no. Uh, the world, um, the world is quite dynamic these days, uh, to put it lightly. And so that's, uh, that's always a worry, but ultimately, if you think about uh, to distill it down to, to simplest terms, you, you have companies that have the loyalty and affinity of billions of users uh, that pay these companies significant sums of money in order for products that make very large contributions to their daily lives, right? Yeah. Take the iPhone, for example. Where we're examining that risk of a collapse, as you put it, is, well, is there going to be a competitive technology platform or product that risks undermining that relationship that Apple has with customers? You don't think that's a risk for years to come? And then secondly, could there be a large regulatory shift? akin to what we've seen in, in China with their tech giants that changes the social contract, if you will, between these companies, society, and the government that undermines their economics. I think the beauty of, of the, the Western system is as much as it's an upheaval in, in, in recent years, but we do have the relative stability of our institutions and the predictability of, of their actions as far as these economics go and the tax rates and so on. So, I'm feeling pretty good, I would say, from from those perspectives, uh, Pierre. Yeah, I I don't want to. Uh, you mentioned Apple, but I, and I did too. You don't want to. I don't want to single out any one particular company, but when you look at the scale of their growth, it, it's it's staggering. Apple's revenue grew by more than ninety billion dollars in 2021, about a third more than 2020, uh, and that's you know probably owing to COVID to some degree, but. That was also despite a global shortage of computer chips. And likewise with Amazon, you look at Amazon, Amazon sales in 2021 were 67% larger in 2019, the year before the pandemic. 
And Google's revenue was nearly 60% greater than in 2019. So it's, it's, it's no surprise, I think, to anybody that, that these companies did well uh, in, that, in the context of the pandemic. But what they showed was that there was capacity among all of us to use these services and products a lot more. Is there any thought at all that we've had a couple of years of blockbuster growth because of the closing trade? And now that things are reopening, um, some, some folks are under the impression that that's going to subside. It's an important question and, and, and there's no clear answer, I would say about the level of benefit or, or frankly detriment that these businesses saw for the pandemic. Um, I would say the short answer to your question is they weren't obvious pandemic beneficiaries and expectations that a uh, big chunk of Amazon's revenue is about to go away, um, that would be correct. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, ultimately you, you listed out some of those enormous growth rates. And ultimately we are sensitive to the fact that these are businesses operating in the real economy and somebody needs to pay the money for them to, to continue <clears throat> to grow and the scale that they've reached, it does not make it easy. And so. It would be a problem, I would say, a big problem if we were looking at the likes of Apple and Google and they were asking us to pay 50, 60, 70 times earnings for these businesses because we would have trouble justifying uh, enough market space for them to grow into this. But I think that at these present valuations, uh, the majority of those businesses uh, aren't demanding uh, an, an extraordinary amount of faith. So, you know, the, the pandemic, it has come, so hopefully it, it has now gone. You'll see in any given quarter, a company report a little bit of an impact that maybe investors didn't expect, maybe they benefited on this line item, and maybe they have been suffering another one, you know, someone like a Google probably making somewhat less money thing because of, uh, traveling. So people didn't advertise, might not have had a, an online travel agent putting ads on Google last year, but that was made out by maybe a mobile game. Uh, developer that wanted to get, you know, kids playing when, uh, when they're stuck at home. So there's a lot of big parts here, but ultimately, again, these companies are so large and so well diversified across the broader economy yeah. that, you know, the, the, the pandemic narrative is not what's going to move the needle here going forward. No. And, and likewise, there's so many businesses that are, they're ancillary to some of these mega cap names. There was a note from Dan Ives and John Katsingris at Wedbush, um, and, you know, their, their point was that what they thought that we're seeing now is only the beginning of a long-term explosion in tech earnings, and that they estimated that companies would spend a trillion dollars on cloud services over the coming years, which means there's a lot more room for tech companies to keep growing and growing and growing. Um, on Apple's services business alone, Ives estimated that that, that business could be worth one and a half trillion dollars. And, and, and that's sort of a sub-business of, of, of uh, you know, of the Apple giant. A lot of people have pointed, I think, to companies like Amazon, which, you know, on the outside is this massive, this, this incredible retailer of everything. Um, but on the inside is, is AWS, which is growing at spectacular rates as well. Ives and Katzingris, what they call is the coming fourth industrial revolution. Well, and that's, you know... 
it's interesting. Uh, these notes are, are helpful, but I always, I do get more cautious, uh, to be honest, than, than optimistic, because whenever people talk about a new industrial revolution or this tr trillion dollar markets, I mean, I want to operate somewhere in the middle between the you know, euphoria of those gentlemen and, and the pessimism of the call right. perhaps the commodity bulls, if you will. And so it's good to have that balance green up both sides and then try to figure out where at the middle will end up. Vitaly, what do you do in order to keep your composure during periods like this? It's not easy, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, obviously, the, the volatility of the market um, does introduce uh, stress on, on any participant. I, I would say that we talked at the, at the beginning about the role and importance of fundamentals. And I think that price is one thing. Price changes with any given second in either direction, and it's completely unpredictable. The value we can add is by doing deep fundamental work on the actual businesses and forecasting their free cash flows and figure, trying to figure out what they're worth. I mean, to us, that's our philosophy and I think how we can add value. And so you really sometimes do have to, you know, you, you check where the stocks are, but then you turn off your screen, you put it away. Because otherwise you begin to really jeopardize your own ability to do good work and, and it begins to interfere with your time. The better thing for us to do is go meet with the company, read their latest financial statements, talk to experts about their prospects and for the coming quarters and years. And so a lot of it really is, uh, as I said, just uh, turning off turning off the monitor in times of, in times of pain and, and, and using that time to find the opportunities while others might be ripping their hair out. That's the advantage we have with our time horizon and our philosophy. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. And Jonathan, um, what are you hearing from advisors? You know, what's the nature of the conversations you're having with advisors these days? Yeah, thanks, Pierre. I think, I mean, broadly, as I mentioned, I've been dealing with advisors for a couple of decades. So most of them are keeping cooler heads, right? They're, they're here to keep, they're, they're here to be the behavioral coaches uh, and to keep their clients engaged in the markets. Um, I think you know, nothing has really changed from the perspective of their clients' investment goals, their clients' investment time horizons, uh, and for the most part, hopefully, their, their risk tolerances haven't changed. And so we're not seeing advisors make major drastic shifts in their portfolio. I mean, that wouldn't be prudent to do so in our view and in their view. That's why most investors do better um, under the advisement of a, of a professional um, because they're there to be that circuit breaker, that behavioral coach. Uh, Taking a step back, having said that, I think, you know, advisors are doing a great job of keeping their clients invested, keeping them engaged, uh, managing their behaviors, uh, but we are seeing a shift in portfolios. I think advisors that were uh, underweight technology uh, and haven't participated in, you know, multi years of exponential outperformance relative to the broad market are adding on these dips um, and are kind of recalibrating their portfolios to make sure that they're closer to market weight uh, globally in, in, in terms of technology. Uh, and those investors and advisors that were, uh, you know, had the appropriate mix of technology and or maybe were overweight uh, in individual names or in the technology sector are shifting uh, a little bit. They're certainly shifting a little bit more to some of the companies that will benefit from reopening, call it the value trades. Uh, they're shifting back to Canadian equities, which have more financials, which will benefit from rising rates and more energy, which is benefiting from this commodity uh, run that we're seeing today. And so there's some shifts on the margin, if you will, overall, and you would expect that in this type of environment. 
Uh, but for the most part, I'm happy to say uh, no dramatic changes uh, and they're keeping their clients uh, in engaged in order to help them reach their goals uh, and not obviously bailing at the worst time possible, uh, which, you know, based on where we're seeing technology today, uh, who knows how far this goes and who knows how long the, you know, that the trade favors the other direction. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, valuations are looking a lot more attractive today than they were in December of last year. And so, um, if you're a believer like we are, that, uh, technology is going to continue to, uh, you know, take up more part of our lives, if you will. Uh, and we're going to continue to accelerate the adoption of technology. Uh, and there's going to be many companies that benefit from that and many consumers that benefit from that disruption that's occurring. Uh, then you have to own uh, a portion of technology within your portfolios and you want to add to it over time. Thank you. So let's talk first about the Global Technology Leaders ETF, uh, ticker TEC. What is that comprised of? Yeah, I mean, I, I can start and then Vitaly can get into the weeds. Long story short, I mean, that's giving you broad uh, physically backed market cap weighted exposure to, you know, the, the global technology leaders of today, uh, the names we've talked about, right? right. The, the apples, the, the metas, uh, the Amazons. And so, you know, your call it, um, you know, 50 plus percent of the portfolio is exposed to that mega cap technology names that have held up quite, quite well on a relative basis, uh, you know, com comparatively to, to a lot of the other individual names. And so, uh, you know, that strategy was built. Uh, for our advisors and our investors community uh, to get, I'll say, better exposure, uh, meaning get global exposure as opposed to just getting U.S. Uh, technology exposure. Uh, it was built to make sure it was pure technology exposure. Uh, most Canadians track uh, strategies that uh, are not pure technology, maybe 70% technology, but not necessarily pure technology. And so uh, the benefit to the TEC uh, ETF is a, you're getting a basket of the leaders of today's technology right. stocks, uh, and you're getting a broad diversified basket of over 250 names. And so, uh, from my perspective, it's served our investors better than the other solutions in the marketplace. Uh, and as a result, it's also well positioned, uh, and held up relatively well, uh, compared to investors that have concentrated their technology exposure in a few names. And now you also have the, um, the newer. Uh, ETF that you guys launched in November of last year, uh, the Global Technology Innovators ETF, uh, TECI. What What is that comprised of? Here, what we did is we took a, a look at what's available in the marketplace and we tried to improve upon what Canadians had access to and exposure to by launching uh, our Innovators ETF. And so uh, long story short, it, it is a diversified basket of 100 names. Um, but what it is, is giving you exposure to the technology leaders right. of tomorrow. And so you're looking at a, you know, a lower market capitalization. Um, you know, we're going up to uh, 500, um, we're looking at certain metrics within the companies in order to capture the technology leaders of tomorrow, uh, today, uh, but we're doing it in a very prudent way. And, and thankfully we had uh, Vitaly, uh, essentially work with our partners over at Selective, which is a German, German, uh, index, uh, ETF, uh, or index provider, if you will, in order to make sure that we were, uh, you know, digging deep in terms of the technology, uh, classifications to make sure we were getting the pure technology exposure that we were looking for. Uh, and then we looked back and tried to determine what determines the success of these innovative companies. And so we ran some screens, um, again, based on Vitaly's uh, input and, uh, kind of looked at what technology companies today will succeed in the future and, and what has been the trajectory of those in the past. And so there's uh, three different uh, quantitative screens that we run 
uh, in order to look at the basket of securities that are going to be included in the ETF first and foremost. And then they're constantly screened on a rebalance, uh, on the rebalance on a quarterly basis to make sure we're, we're capturing companies that have superior revenue growth, um, that are their superior margin expansion, uh, and superior return on, on growth. Um, and so, you know, in a long story short, you're, you're getting these innovatives of tomorrow. You are going to get more volatility, obviously, than you would in the TEC mandate. Um, but you're getting that exposure in a more, much more prudent way, in our opinion, uh, relative to some of the other strategies out there that are capturing some of the names that are a little bit more euphoric, right. if you will, uh, not necessarily generating real profits today, real return on investment today. And so this ETF is designed to give Canadians exposure to the leaders of tomorrow. Um, but with those very uh, strict uh, qualifying criteria that we think will help them succeed going forward. Yeah, and that's very important. That, I mean, the uh, the systematic approach is very important. You've got, what what are some of the, can you maybe talk about what are some of the baseline uh, sort of selection rules that are that make up that index? Yeah, sure. Vitaly, did you want to take that one? Sure, yeah. I'd let you take a little <laughs> break. <but. laughs> no, I have so the TECI uh, Innovators ETF, it, it, that was a quite clever approach. We essentially said, look, there's a lot of companies that, um, well, let me put it this way. We said that to be, to be something tomorrow, to be perhaps the size of, a, of an NVIDIA or Microsoft, but to be a, a player, so to speak, tomorrow, well, you're going to need to grow. So first, <laughs> the first factor is, is or needs to be revenue growth. Companies uh, need to be growing to get someone. Now that's, that's the first and foremost, uh, criteria. Now we also recognize that look in and of itself, uh, growth doesn't really, uh, mean anything. I mean, uh, I can go to the bank and get a loan and then start a business and buy some customers, you know, give you guys $5 to become a customer of mine and then borrow more money and go buy more customers. And there's companies doing them, believe it or not, or a version of, of that. So. We need to have something that's uh, that's growth that that actually makes sense. So we'll call that a, a good, the best possible return on uh, invested capital. Was growth invested capital? So we're measuring the potential universe of inclusions into the ETF for companies that, for every dollar of of uh, spending on sales and marketing or research and development, they're getting the most fresh revenue dollars out of that. So we want the companies that are efficient, spending money to actually get more right. revenue, not companies just spending money and really burning cash. And then finally, uh, ultimately, we talked about valuation being really a, a, a DCF game and its purity. I mean, it is really the value of future free cash flows. We're all, we're all buying, can't lose sight of that. And so uh, it's nice if companies grow and for a while that is the right thing to grow and reinvest everything into your business. But at a certain point in time, you have to start generating profits, ultimately returning it to your shareholders. And so the final factor that we're looking for is margin expansion. We're looking for companies that are just improving the profitability profile of their business, whether they were losing money and they're getting to break even, or they were very profitable and getting to extremely profitable, but we're looking for that, you know, right direction of, of profitability from them. So those are the three factors we think are quite unique and bring together a collection of companies that are screening the best along all three. And they're certainly not uh, in the same category as a lot of the speculative technology companies that have little or no earnings. 
Well, correct. And then, of course, many speculative companies of this sort, oftentimes we can bring in the analogy of, of 2000, but in the, the, we're talking about companies in this CTF that we believe are, 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 are the technology leaders of tomorrow. Some of them for certainly will emerge, but even today, we're talking about businesses that have, if you look at the top yeah. 10 there, billions of revenues already. Sure. They just happen to be growing them 30%. So not, not, not at all what some might think where, you know, hang on a second. Uh, <laughs> what are these companies today? Well, no, they're, they're, they're household names already. We just think they'll, they'll be sure. worldwide household yeah. names. Like AMD, right? Advanced exactly. micro devices. That's not a, that's not a junior by yes. any stretch. Broadcom, no, CrowdStrike. I mean, yeah. yeah. Shopify. I mean, these are, these are all companies that are eligible and from, uh, we'll find their ways if they're not already in the portfolio. And, and, uh, I, you hit the nail on the head. And I just brought up some examples because, you know, people might think, what well, is this, you know, Larry's convenience store on this? <laughs> well, no, not, not at all. Talk about how your technology ETFs are different from the competitions. Vitaly was the one that, you know, spent a lot of time behind the scenes doing this. But I think, you know, if I look at uh, TEC, right, our, our, our global uh, leaders technology ETF, which is, you know, one of the largest in the Canadian marketplace that the, the, the main differentiators, uh, relative to the competing product that's in the marketplace is, is one it's global in nature. And so sure, obviously, you know, large, a lot of the largest technology leaders today are, are in the U S but we still get global in nature. And so, uh, you get a, a more diversified basket of securities relative to our competitor products. Uh, the second thing is, you know, like I said, it's, it's global. Uh, in nature, but it is still physically backed and market cap weighted. And so I think people need to realize it is an index strategy. Uh, I would just argue we built a better index uh, to track relative to our competitors and the fact that it's, it's global in nature and it's pure technology and it's exposure relative to a lot of other strategies. Uh, and then the third component to it is really kind of the intellectual property that we bring to the table, which is Vitaly and his team in looking at the constituents um, on a quarterly basis and digging pretty deep and much deeper than the other index providers do to make sure we're capturing technology names. Um, some technology names are not classified correctly from our perspective uh, in, in, the, in, in, in the kick sectors. And so making sure we're, we're capturing those names as part of this portfolio to bring the most uh, globally diversified, purest technology ETF to the Canadian landscape. Um, so that's really kind of the three main differentiators relative to our, to our competitors. Yeah, and I think, Jonathan, I think you, you nailed it. I would just add that you know, in, in the peers forum over my career, when people have looked to invest in technology, they said, well, that's the NASDAQ, right? And the NASDAQ 100 for the large cap exposure. It's been a great index that's out, outperformed the S&P 500 pretty consistently. I think all we're saying is you know, we, we think we've built the best mousetrap for technology because you know, if people are actually, if they want pure play technology exposure, then I think they should get that. And then if you go and buy something built on the NASDAQ, then, well, there's a Starbucks in there, mm -hmm. a Costco in there and some industrialist companies. And so it doesn't quite make sense. I think investors can diversify themselves. And, you know, the frankly, the last point is just that we're at NASDAQ, right? I mean, the NASDAQ is great, but, uh, there's a lot of companies that trade on the New York Stock Exchange that you wouldn't have in an index like that. So Visa or MasterCard, Salesforce.com, or Jonathan talked about going global. Well, how about a Nintendo right. in Japan, right? So we really think we've done some heavy lifting and we, we like what the final product has come to be. So now for the, for the big question of the conversation, 
What's your base case, Vitaly, for investing in these two tech segments? Is now a good time? I mean, are we at a, at a key moment? Is now one of those key uh, opportunistic points in time for investors to be adding to technology? Right. Well, with the caveat that you're exactly right, and if any investment professional should advise anyone that, you know, this is the moment, this is the day, <laughs> and, you know, the audience should be very careful. <laughs> as I hope they would be otherwise, but I would say that, you know, the way we look at it is, uh, look, the, the, the history of the market and the history of browsing of, you know, American and Western, uh, economies and businesses that run those economies is, is up to the right GDP grows, earnings grow, great companies emerge and sustain themselves over the life cycle, eventually decline. And if you look at the history of the stock market, the manifestation of how market values those earnings, well. Question really is, what is the base rate of historically buying pullbacks of this magnitude? And now as we approach 20%, uh, history will tell you that the, that is, well, universally has been a, a tremendous buying opportunity that has created wealth for the people that took advantage of that, of that moment of fear and uncertainty. It didn't mean that those people did look back a month later and said, what a dummy I am. Things fell another yeah. 3%. I could have bought it even cheaper, right? But it does mean that people that understand their horizon, that understand the purpose with which they're deploying their money and have this uh, guide of history to console them uh, as far as expected returns, uh, I believe uh, should be acting on the advice of history yeah. today. I mean, and if you're buying a basket like uh, a TECI, for example, um, and this is, you know, whether this moment is the moment or not, doesn't really matter. It's not like you have to go all in with your allocations. You can spread it out. You can average it in over over a longer period, over the next three, six months or a year. Uh, you know, so whatever whatever the case may be, at some point you're going to be right if you if you take a, a a sort of more measured or or gradual approach to getting getting into some of these holdings. It's not uh, it's not cut and dry today or tomorrow, but, but over the next uh, little while, there's going to be uh, really, you know, opportunistic time. It's, it's, I can't help thinking it's going to be an opportunistic time to add to these holdings. Right. And, uh, I would second that sentiment. I think we, we're, we're, we're watching closely because it's, uh, there's an awful lot yeah. going on in the world and it's, uh, it's creating a lot of dislocations. And I think for, for most investors that go out there and say, look, uh, they have a different profession. They have family, friends, hobbies they wish to enjoy it. It's just gone from, you know, extremely difficult to pick the right stock to I would say impossible in this environment, frankly. It, and so the point about diversification that you made, especially in high growth technology is just so key because uh, frankly, in that, you know, hundred, uh, stock portfolio, gosh, uh, some of those companies, uh, will struggle. I would bet anything. Some of them right. will actually go bankrupt, but the fact of the matter is that, uh, far more will multiply their value two, three, four times. And so when you run the mathematics over that <laughs> equation, now uh, the outcome was quite positive, right? So the, the danger of just trying to home in on one as, as, as a, as a hobbyist, so to speak, is, is it's just very dangerous. Also, I, I mean, and, and I don't know if this is correct, but correct me if I'm wrong, but because of the index methodology of the industries that you're, the indices that you're using, 
for, for both of the, for both of your ETFs, um, that too is a gradualistic approach as well. I mean, uh, over time, companies that fail to meet with the criteria of the index will be averaged out of the index and, and replaced by companies that do meet with the criteria of the index as well. So it's not a, it's not a uh, static approach. Let's own the same hundred companies over the next five to 10 years. It's, it's really a, a dynamic approach to owning a basket of these companies that meet the, the rules and the criteria of the index. That's a good point. Yeah. I think Pierre, I think, yeah, one of the things that, that, you know, the, the benefits of having an index strategy, right? A, a market capitalized weighted strategy is you're getting the uh, consensus of all market participants in real time. And so, you know, the share price times the number of shares is reflected uh, in the underlying ETF in real time. And so, uh, you know, you can't, I can't stress enough the importance of diversification and having a basket, a well diverse basket of technology names, particularly in an environment like this. Um, and it's reflected, like I said, in, in real time. And so, yeah, I think, you know, to, to quote kind of what I've heard Vitaly say in, in the past, I think, you know, technology is really kind of, uh, you know, an expression of, of, of human ingenuity and innovation. And so, you know, you, you, some of the the brightest people in the world work for technology companies and we're continuing as consumers and then as investors seeing the innovation and the disruption that technology is providing and, and for the better for, for, for most parts. And so I think, you know, as an investor, you need to participate in that. Now the appropriate amount and the appropriate vehicle, obviously is it going to be determined by your time horizon, your risk tolerance and the objective for that money. And hopefully you know, you, you know, those things quite well. And some of us have had a bit of a gut check this yeah. year, certainly from a risk perspective, um, particularly folks that haven't been well diversified in a basket of, of, of securities that an ETF would hold. And so I think, you know, uh, for those of us who, whose timelines and objectives have stayed the same, um, this certainly looks like a, you know, a good opportunity to, to sprinkle or dollar cost average or continue to average in, uh, to technology as a sector that's going to continue in our view. Uh, to be disruptive and, and help the companies create more efficiencies and attract some of the brightest folks, uh, from across the globe as their employees, um, to, to, and, you know, rightfully as a result of that, uh, you know, outperform the market. And we've seen that, I think now for, you know, a decade and a half, at least where the technology sector is outperformed. And so maybe 2022 is not the year where it does outperform. Um, relative to other sectors where we're seeing a little bit of a shift, uh, towards, towards, uh, investors capital. Uh, but I think longer term, the, the, the story for technology still holds true. Uh, and just the need to being diversified, uh, I would say holds true even more, uh, than it has in the past. So back to the basics, I think is, is key for investors to do at this, at this juncture. Vitaly, John. Thank you so much for your, your time and your incredibly valuable insight. And uh, I hope we can catch up with you in the next year. Thanks. Well, thanks, Pierre, for having us. I look forward to catching up again.